more to life than this. I drive to work every morning. It's half an hour driving to work. I work an eight-hour day. I drive home, come home, make dinner, you know, do evening activities with the kids, and then it's off to bed to do it all over again. And, uh, and I was just thinking. I couldn't stop thinking. There must be more to life than this. And, and that thought hasn't left me since then. Every day, several times a day, he keeps bringing me back to that thought. On several occasions over the p- course of the past week, I was reminded of... Um, how precious life is, and that if we don't live as if there's more to life than this, then what are we living for? This, this year actually marks the one-year anniversary of one of my colleagues' mothers dying, and um, she's had a really tough time with it. And so we've been able to walk through that with her. And over this past month, because it was a month since her, since her death, it's been extremely hard for her, and so we've been walking through with that. And as we've done that, I've, I've constantly been thinking, there must be more to life than this. I also found out that this past week, um, just before Easter, a family friend of ours, he was only 40 years old, was found dead in his apartment. No reason why he had an internal bleed and nobody knows why. No accident, no you know, pre-existing history of anything. Um, but he was dead as a young man. And I thought, there must be more to life than this. And then um, when we were celebrating Easter with my family, my mother told me about five other families that we know of that were friends of somebody in the family who had all lost someone over the course of the past week. And all of those situations just got me thinking about how precious life is and that there must be more to life than this. And then um, this past Easter weekend, we had the opportunity. Krista's been working in, in Kenya with, uh, with, a, with a couple of groups. And we had the opportunity to Skype with, with um, Jack, who leads one of the groups in, in Kenya. And it was a really great opportunity for me to finally speak to him face-to-face and for us to do that as a family. But as we were doing that, we could see in the background the situation that they lived in. Extreme poverty, a mud hut, one room. And you could, you know, you could hear a chicken clucking around in the background. And all I could think of while, I was, while we were speaking to them was, I can't believe the joy and the happiness and the fulfillment that just comes through these people's lives, even though they have so little. And the, the generosity, he actually said to me, <clears throat> he's been bugging Krista, asking when I'm going to come to Africa with her. And uh, he said, Mark, when you come to Africa, this chicken I'm saving for you. And he's going to kill the chicken for me for when we come to Africa. The generosity is unbelievable. And so again, I had to ask myself, how come we can't live with the joy and the, and, the, and the excitement and the generosity that these people live with? There must be more to life than this. And then just throughout the past seven to ten days, uh, I've just had more than a normal number of conversations, and my thought has been brought back to that uh, thought time and time and time again. There must be more to life in the, than this. And so this morning, I want us to think about um, how we can live life to the fullest, Because the only way that our lives are going to be more than this is if we learn how we can live our lives to the fullest. How many of you remember 19... How many of you were alive in 1989? Okay, about half of us. How many of you remember the movie The Dead Poets Society? Robin Williams, a classic movie, right? How many of you remember the famous... Or like the, the, the... The statement that came out of that movie that has been a kind of a a statement that's gone throughout culture ever since. Nobody? Carpe diem. Ah, I know you've all heard it before. Carpe diem means seize the day. 
It's an exhortation to live life to the fullest, to get the most out of every moment. And uh, I believe that every single one of us here has a deep desire to know how to live life to the fullest, every single one of us. And I know that sounds like a strong statement for me to tell you what your desire is. And uh, coming from me, if you know me, is probably an even stronger statement because I don't like to make statements that are extreme. I try not to say things like always or never because those are extreme statements. So when I'm in conversations with people, I try not to say to people, so-and-so always does this. I actually uh, messed this up last night and said, I, oh, I, I never say so-and-so always does this. But I try not to say to people, so-and-so always does this. Or I try not to say to people, you know, you never do that. And I try especially to be cautious when I'm, when I'm speaking to my family to not say never or always. Because I know that those words can be harsh and judgmental. But this time I'm going to stand my ground. I think that 100% of us share a deep desire to know how to live life to the very fullest. I bet you if we took a survey of 100 people uh, just outside the doors of the church or if if there's more than 100 people here, I bet you if we took a a survey, each one of the people that took that survey would say that they wanted to, to know how to live their lives to the fullest. Nobody wants to live a mediocre life. Nobody wants to live a mediocre life. That's not what we're here for. By our very nature, we long for our lives to be full. And if we don't find something meaningful to fill our lives with, if we don't find some, some meaning behind our lives, then unfortunately we often, often turn to things that will either numb us or distract us or sometimes might even be harmful to us because those things at the time seem like they might be some, something meaningful. But in the end... All they do is they take our minds off the true desire that we have to have a deep and meaningful life. And advertisers know this. If you've ever listened to advertiser slogans for certain things, you'll hear things like, who says you can't have it all? That coming from a beer commercial. Satisfy your thirst. Life is a journey. Enjoy the, enjoy the ride. And even more than the actual slogans that uh, advertisers pitch at us, they throw images at us that make it look like if we consume or use their product, it's going to make our lives so much more. It's going to make us more fulfilled. It's going to give us a fuller, deeper life. Look inside yourself, and I'm certain that you'll find that you long for a life that is more than just being about successful. If you look inside yourself, I'm sure you'll find that you want a life that's more than just about gaining more money, having the newest or the latest toy or or, or electronics or gadgets. It's more than about having lots of nice things or having intellectual growth or even being respected. More than likely, that's probably why you're actually here today. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're searching for something more in life or whether you came because... Uh, a friend dragged you out or your mother, you know, was just on your case to be here or somebody asked you on a date and brought you here to church. <laughs> Hope that's not the case. But I'm willing to bet if you're here this morning that you've asked yourself if there's something more to life than this. And unfortunately, many times we get so caught up in the details of day-to-day life that we sometimes let actual real life slip away from us. We all have deadlines We all have commitments. We all have problems. We all have priorities. 
We all have distractions and obstacles. And even though we try to get the most out of every day, or that's our desire, more often than not, it's the day that ends up getting the most out of us. And by the end of the day, we're just, ah, oh, I got another one of these tomorrow. So going back to the movie, The Dead Poet Society, on the first day of school, Robin Williams' character, Mr. Keating, walks into his class whistling the 1812 Overture, which I'd whistled for you, but I'm not a very good whistler, and you wouldn't catch that that's what it was. But at once the students recognize that this teacher is not like any other teacher they've had at the academy, and he motions for them to follow them out into the hallway on the first day of class, and he has them stand in front of the school's trophy case, and a student reads aloud a famous poem about the passage of time, which the teacher proceeds to interpret. He says, we're all food for worms, lads. Believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room is one day going to stop breathing, turn cold, and die. And then he motions for them to draw nearer to a display that has photographs, aged photographs of former students. And he continues on, I'd like you to step forward over here and peruse some of the faces from the past. You've walked past them many times, but I don't really think you've ever looked at them. They're not that different from you, are they? Some ha same haircuts, full of hormones just like you, invincible just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things. Their eyes are full of hope just like you. Did they wait till it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of which they were capable? Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. If you listen real close, you can hear their whispering legacy to you. And he has them lean into the pictures and stands behind them and whispers, Carpe Diem, seize the day, boys. So Carpe Diem is from a poem that was written before the time of Christ by a, a, a Latin man named Horace. And it means seize the day. And the point of the poem is that a person doesn't know what their future holds. And so in order to seize the day, they need to take a hold of every moment they have. They need to take a, a grasp of every moment they have and make the most of it. This is all the more important when we consider that our lives are really just a vapor. If you consider the length of time you have on earth to all the time that came before and all the time that will come after, our lives are but a vapor. The psalmist in Psalm 90 says this about our lives. He put it pretty bluntly. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to 80. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. And soon they disappear and we fly away. Life is a vapor. So how do we make the most of the little time that we have? If you're a follower of Jesus, the, the question isn't about having an uncertain future so much as it is that we simply don't know how much time we have. So we have to make the most of every moment that we have. The writer of James in James 4 says this, Look here, you who say, Today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town, and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. <coughs> I believe that the writer of James believed in the philosophy of Carpe Diem, and I believe that the Apostle Paul, in the passage that we're going to look at, has this philosophy of life as well. If you turn to Philippians 3 in your Bibles, or look up on the screen, we'll be looking at verses 7 to 16. And this is what Paul says. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because what, of what Christ has done. 
Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. forgetting the past and looking forward to that which lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we've already made. So in order to seize the day, in order to make the most of the life that we've been given, there's a few things that I think Paul has us, uh, what he wants for us to keep in mind. And the first thing that he wants us to keep in mind is that to make the most out of your life, you have to know what your purpose is. Know your purpose. In order for anyone to be successful in any area of life, they have to know exactly what their purpose is. I'm a nurse, and if I didn't know that God had wanted me to become a nurse or, or use, use my uh, talents and my gifts in that capacity, I could have done something else, uh, taken another line of schooling, another line of training, and I wouldn't have been all that God had wanted me to be. So we need to know our purpose in order to be what God wants us to be and to fulfill our lives. An example of this, uh, not so much in our personal lives, but is the Canada Revenue Agency. If you like them or not, they know their purpose. Probably this time of year, most of us don't really like them. But if you go on their website, I did this this past week because it's tax time, you'll find a simple reason they exist. They have their mission, their vision, their values on their website, and they say it in a couple of sentences, but I've whittled it down to this. The Canada Revenue Agency exists to administer tax programs and ensure compliance to their programs. It's pretty simple. And uh, if you are on the receiving end of the Canada Revenue Agency, you know that they do their job really, really well. I'm not sure that uh, our neighbors to the south are, are, have the same train of thought, but they're actually a little more concerned about terrorist attacks than, uh, than we are. And they actually have a tax service that states in their handbook, during a state of national emergency resulting from enemy attack, the essential functioning of the service will be as follows. Assess, collect, and record taxes. So the rest of the country is going, you know, is going to war. They're being attacked, but the, the, uh, the IRS is going to continue to collect taxes. They know their purpose, and so does our CRA. And they do their job well because of that. If I were to ask everyone in this room if you could state your purpose as clearly and succinctly as that, what is your purpose in life? I'd probably get quite a few different answers. If, if I had to shout them out, probably some of us would say, I'm, uh, my purpose is to be a mother or to be a father, or to be a good husband, or a good wife, or to be a good student, or to do my job well, 
or, uh, or whatever it is that we do to be a police officer or a fireman or a teacher or a nurse. And those are all great goals. Those are all good things to work towards, but those are all secondary to what our actual purpose in life is. The question is, what is your primary purpose in life? Why do you exist? Why did God put you here? What's your reason for living? Everything in creation has a primary purpose or a reason for existing. And for everything in creation to be successful, to do what it was intended to do, it needs to fulfill that purpose. Let me illustrate it like this. So here's an easy question for you. What is the primary purpose of a pair of rubber boots? Keep your feet dry. Exactly. So we know the primary purpose of a pair of rubber boots. Now you could go onto the Welly Web website. Wellies are another name for rubber boots, and there is an actual website called Welly Webs. I went on it this week. You could get a nice pair of rubber boots for three or four hundred dollars. Or, I know, I'd laugh at you too if you paid that much for a pair of rubber boots. Or you could go to TSC, and you could get a pair. Um, I actually saw on their flyer this week, they have them on sale for $12.99 if you need a pair of rubber boots. Um, but either way, if your rubber boots look like, uh, like this, would they be serving their purpose? Absolutely not. When it comes to walking your kids to the bus on a rainy day, or when it comes to mucking out the stalls in the barn, that pair of boots would be completely useless. I'd rather have a $5 pair of boots from Giant Tiger than that pair of boots. And what about some of these epic flops? A key that you can only push in, you probably couldn't pull out. Not a very useless invention, or useful invention. A pot that would probably boil water fine, but when you went to take it off, you'd probably end up dumping the water all over yourself. Or a wine glass that you couldn't drink out of, but you could certainly spill it all over the front of yourself. All kind of useless inventions, just like a pair of rubber boots, <clears throat> or a key, or a wine glass has a primary purpose. They all serve one purpose. Every individual that God has created has a primary purpose. And unless we discover what that purpose is, we can never fully live the lives that God intended for us. Paul stated his reason in Philippians 3 uh, like this, I want to know Christ and to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying, I want to know Christ. I want to know everything he experienced so that I can be like him, so that I can walk in his shoes, so that I can serve my primary purpose, which is to be in relationship restored to God and to love him and to serve him with all my heart. And that's our reason for living as well. That is our primary purpose. God put us here on the earth in order to be in relationship with him. And to be restored in that relationship with him, we need Christ Jesus. But to walk with him, to love him, and to serve him. That's our primary purpose. And then other goals that you have on top of that are secondary. But if you're following that one purpose, that is why we're here and why we exist. In Philippians 3, Paul goes on to say that in order to fully live life, the life that God intended for us, we need to forget the past. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Every single one of us has a past. 
Every single one of us assumes a certain perspective on life based on the experiences that we've had, both good and bad. Based on our memories and our experiences, we, it shapes how we live the rest of our lives. But the Old Testament and the New Testament both tell us that if we live in our pasts, that becomes dangerous because it robs us from fully embracing the present and from looking ahead to what God has in store for us. Now, that's not to say that all memories are bad or that there aren't things we should cherish or learn from in our past. Um, I was actually on Facebook this past week and saw some great pictures on Throwback Thursday. People had some wicked hairdos, and (laughs) it was pretty awesome. There are some things in our past that are all right to cherish, to remember, but if we live in our pasts, it becomes a problem. And so there, there are two elements from the past that we need to, to, to look at forgetting. And the first is that we need to forget the bad. Paul had a past to forget. People don't get much worse than Paul was. He had tortured. He had murdered many innocent people. He'd caused a lot of pain, and he'd done a lot of damage to the cause of Christ and to the early church. But he was faced with a choice. He could either dwell on his mistakes and live in his past and constantly let that affect him, or he could let it go, put it behind him, move on with his life, and become the apostle and the minister and missionary for Christ that he became. We all have things in our past that have the potential to ruin our chances for a fuller relationship with Christ and with others around us. When I, was, uh, when I was five years old, I, I came home from school one day. with uh, My dad picked us up after school, and there was a note on the kitchen table from my mother. And it, it said, I'm done. I'm leaving. I don't want to see you or the boys again. Don't call. Don't come and visit. And so time went on, and my parents ended up getting a divorce. And uh, eventually, she did agree in the divorce settlement to have weekend visits with us. But that situation left a, a significant scar on my heart. And for years, even during our our weekend visits, I refused to forgive my mother for that. And uh, eventually in my teen years, it ended up causing another rift in our relationship and, and another long period of time where we didn't see each other. But it wasn't until several years after that, that, that God put on my heart that I needed to forgive her and let the past be the past. There was nothing I could do to change the past. There was nothing she could do to change the past. But what we could do was move ahead and so, so we moved ahead. I forgave her for that. And wouldn't you know it that not long after that, several, just a couple of years after that, she actually came to Christ, partly because of our relationship with her. Maybe you've had a bad experience, or maybe you did something a long time ago that you regret. Maybe the memories keep coming back to haunt you, keeping you from living a full life today. We all have to learn that there are parts of our past that we need to forget. It's over. It's gone. It's done with. Living in the past is not going to help us move on in the future. It's not going to help us move on. If we live in our past, it's impossible to move forward. And I know for some people there are significant issues. There are traumas. There are things that you've had to deal with in your past that you might need to, to, that you can't just get over. You might need to get some, look for some professional help for. And if you need to do that, I would encourage you to do that. You might need to talk to somebody. You might need to turn to God and ask him to help you get over those things. But unless we get over those things that are past that are holding us back, we can never fully move forward and become the people God wants us to be and live the fullest life that he has for us. Regardless of the past, we still have the rest of our lives to live. 
But it's not all bad memories that haunt us either. Sometimes we need to forget the glory days, or at least put those behind us. You've probably heard the Bruce Springsteen song, Glory Days. I, I said this last night and got home and Krista said, Glory Days? I don't know that song. But you would know it if you heard it. But it's a Bruce Springsteen song. It's, uh, it's about a guy and a girl who just can't quit thinking about the past. The guy played baseball, and all he could do when he talked to people was recall the good old days in high school. He says it like this. Time slips away and leaves you with nothing, mister, but boring stories of glory days. Exactly. Glory days. For most of us, it's nothing but boring stories. Many people zero on in, though, on the one good period in their life and spend the rest of their days reliving the past. Maybe it was a, an, in high school or in college, and you were, you know, like the star running back on the football team, or you were the captain of the cheerleading team, or you were, you know, queen of the prom, and it's just a time that you really, you really cherish, but uh, you just can't get over it. Sometimes it's a temptation to live in the past, especially if it's a good thing in the past. But Paul knew that a good past in itself wasn't enough to guarantee a meaningful future. He said this earlier on in, chap- in, uh, in Philippians 3. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own gifts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. He had a lot he could boast about, a lot in the past that he could live in. But notice he goes on to say, whatever gains I had, these I come to regard as loss because of Christ Jesus. What I have gained in Christ Jesus is more than all of those things that I did in the past. Everything in the past I regard as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul is saying... Regardless of the good things in my past, regardless of the bad things in my past, I will not live in the past. My reason for living is to be like Jesus. And whatever happened yesterday, good or bad, it's history. I'll live for Jesus today. I'm sure we've all heard stories from an older loved one about the good old days. People often romanticize the past because they were happy at a certain point in life. But this can be just as much of a stumbling block as the bad things in our past that we dwell on, that we just keep conjuring up. If we choose to dwell on our past, good or bad, it can prevent us from being fully present in the present. It's important to cherish and to learn from our past without our memories and without our experiences. We wouldn't have an identity. We wouldn't be the people we are today. But we need to learn to have a past rather than to live in the past. There's a big difference between having a past and continually living in the past. And finally, in Philippians 3, Paul says that in order to live the fullest life that we can, we need to face the present. In in verse 13 and on, he says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. He says it's easy to live in the past. It's easy to dream away the future, of the things that could be, of the things that I'm desiring of for. The challenge, though, is to live in the present. 
to live fully in each moment of every day. The past can pose a stumbling block to moving forward, but living for the future can pose an equal problem. We need to anticipate the future. We need to plan for the future. But when we live for the future, if we're consumed by the future, we run the risk of an attitude that makes our present circumstances or situations seem worthless, like an inconvenience. We run the risk of our plans and our hopes and our dreams becoming all that we live for. And the present is simply the drudgery that we have to deal with in order to get to that point. Now, there's seven days in every week. How many times do we get to Monday or to Tuesday? We're only like two days into the week, and we start saying, oh, is it Friday yet? I can't wait for the weekend. And we have that attitude of, you know, I cannot wait for what lies ahead. I still have, you know, the majority of the week ahead of me, but I just want to plow through that so I can live for the weekend. Oftentimes, we go through our days simply looking forward to the next thing, rather than living as though each day were a gift that we've been given. Rather than living each day day as though it were an opportunity for us to live life to its fullest. One area where this is, is super important is in our conversations. How many times are we in conversations and someone's telling us something and we're thinking in our heads, oh, what can I tell them about that? What can I say about that? How can I respond to that? When we do that, we actually rob ourselves of the opportunity to live fully in that moment, to experience the moment. And we also rob the person that we're having a conversation with to be in that moment as well. Have you ever been somewhere where your mind is totally elsewhere? You're dreaming of, you know, what's going to be next? You're planning. Maybe you're stressing. When we do that, we rob ourselves of a moment that we could be living in that we'll never get back. Living in the present involves giving our full attention to the situation that we're in, to the task at hand, to the people that we're with. It means we can no longer allow ourselves the luxury of saying, well, you know, maybe tomorrow I'll start doing this thing. Maybe one of these days I'll, get to, I'll do something about my temper. Maybe one of these days I'll start to work on my relationship with God. Maybe one of these days I'm going to start thinking more about my health and how I can be a healthier person. Maybe one of these days, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. Living in the present means taking advantage of opportunities as they present themselves. In uh, in Acts 3, there's an account of Peter and John when they're going to the temple first thing in the morning to go to a service. And as they're walking to the temple, they walk by the same spot that they walk by every day, and there's a, a beggar there who's there every day. And he reaches out and he says to them, can you spare some money? And they, you know, they were, at this point in their ministries, they'd basically uh, achieved celebrity kind of status in, 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 uh, in what they were doing. And they could have easily just said, oh, no, we don't, we don't deal with your kind and moved on. But they stopped. They didn't give him money. But they said, I've got more than, that I can give to you. And they did a miracle. And they explained to him and the people that had gathered around them about, uh, about, about what Jesus Christ could do for them. They allowed an interruption into their day. And sometimes living in the present moment means that we need to allow for interruptions into our day and to embrace those because that is what living in the moment is about, living in the present. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the early church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 6. And in it, he addressed this issue. He says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. Part of seizing the day, part of living life to its fullest 
is taking opportunities to do good. He says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, not just if we volunteer at the food bank or if we volunteer at a shelter, if we volunteer doing something, not just taking those opportunities to to do good, but any time an opportunity presents itself to do good, taking advantage or taking that opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Paul is saying in order to live the abundant life that God has for us, we need to look for the opportunities to do good. The abundant life isn't just about the things that we can get or the things that we can receive or the things that we can buy. It's about who we are. It's about how we live our lives. It's about what we do with those things that we've gotten or received or that we've bought. That is living an abundant life. Doing, or do, do good as the opportunity presents itself because you aren't guaranteed another chance. The next chance you have to do good might be the last chance that you have. What, so what does this look like? In uh, the Old Testament, the writer of Ecclesiastes says this, Whatever you do, do it well. For when you go to the grave, there'll be no work, there'll be no planning, there'll be no knowledge or wisdom. Whatever you do, do it well. Do it now and do it well. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Colossians 3. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working with, for the Lord rather than for people. Sometimes we could be tempted to look at our jobs or to look at whatever it is, going to school or being, you know, a a full-time stay-at-home parent. We look at those things um, as though they were something that we have to do in order to just get by. Or maybe you feel like, uh, you know, like you're doing what you do because you haven't quite figured out what God's ultimate plan is for your life. And so what you do every day now is just biding time until you can figure out what it is that God wants you to do. But Paul says it is never about biding time. You are never abiding time. Everything that we do, whether it's changing a dirty diaper, whether it's drawing up plans for a future home, whether it's going to class or driving a tractor, whatever it is that you do, we need to do it to God, or as if we were doing it to God. When you do whatever you do, as though it was, you were working for the Lord, what it is that you're doing takes on a whole new meaning. It takes on a whole new dimension of value. God, God might have big plans for you in your future. He might have plans for you to be a preacher. He might have plans for you to be an evangelist. He might have plans for you to be a missionary. He might have plans for you to be a great leader. But chances are that for 99% of us, those aren't the plans that he has for us. The plans that he has for us, more than likely, are to, to live life with the people that he's brought into your life to live life with those people and impact those people around us. So how do we do that? We do it by doing everything we do as though we were doing it for him. I dare you to try it. Next time you're vacuuming a carpet, next time you're vacuuming a carpet and you see something that somebody has stomped into the carpet and you're vacuuming and you're cursing whoever did that, stop, take a moment, acknowledge that what you are doing, you're doing for God. And I guarantee it will change your perspective on what you're doing. Next time you're, uh, you're doing whatever it is that you do during the day, whether you're at work, whether you're at school, whether you're driving a school bus, or whatever it is that you're doing, uh, and I, I, 
challenge you to stop and think, what is it that I'm doing? I'm doing it for the Lord. And sometimes you might have to do that several times a day. Sometimes you might have to do it several times an hour. And depending on your attitude when you went into things, if it's a really lousy class that you're sitting in and you have a bad attitude already, you might have to do that several times a minute in order to gain the right attitude. But I guarantee you that when you stop and acknowledge that what you're doing is for the Lord, I guarantee it will reshape your attitude and your perspective. I guarantee that it will give you new value on things in life that you once thought were mundane. It'll give you a new value in things that you could barely tolerate doing. The things that you uh, just have to do to get by. It'll actually help you to do the first thing that Paul, Paul says we need to do, or the second thing, to live in the presence, rather than drudging up the past or just constantly looking forward to the future. When we acknowledge that what we're doing is for God, it helps us to be in the present, to be thankful for what it is, to be able to serve Him in this way, to be able to serve others in the, in the opportunities that He's given us. It'll change how you work. It'll change how you view your work. It'll change your perspective It'll change your perspective on your current position in life. It'll help you live more fully in the present. And that's important because God does not want us to waste our lives away. If we constantly dwell in the past or we're constantly just looking forward to the next big thing, we do end up wasting our lives away. He wants us to seize the day, live every day of our lives on purpose. He's given us a reason for living, to be like Christ to be in the fullest possible relationship with him possible. That's not going to happen yesterday. So we need to forget about the past. It's not going to happen tomorrow because today is always today. Tomorrow never really comes. It has to happen right now. And it, and it will if we will seize the day. If we seize each opportunity that we have, give it to the Lord and do whatever we do as though it were unto him. Can I pray for you? Father, we thank you that you've called each one of us to be in relationship with you. We thank you that you've given each one of us a purpose. And we thank you that you've made that uh, our primary purpose, to be in relationship with you, clear to us. Help us to, uh, to acknowledge that each moment we have the opportunity to live life to the fullest, to do everything that we do as though it were to you. And that as we do that, we can live fully in each moment that you've given us. Help us to, um, to learn how to deal with the things in the past that hold us back. If that means, uh, you know, finding someone that we can talk to or pray with or maybe looking for help by, from a professional. Help us to be able to have the courage to do that so that we can move forward and we can live the fullest life possible that you have for us. And uh, we trust that you will do that because we ask it in your name. Amen.